Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. It's a Sunday everybody's been waiting for, time for one of the biggest events of the year, a day so many think is worth a grand celebration. There will be chiefs and 40-somethings, yes, and Jesus Christ will be there. And no, I'm not talking about Tom Brady. Uh, today, we celebrate the feast of the presentation of our Lord Jesus Christ in the temple, which happens 40 days after Christmas, a celebration of a major event in the lives of the chief characters in the story of our salvation, Jesus Christ and his mother, the Blessed Virgin Mary. This feast is one of the most ancient feasts of the church. We have documented sermons from this feast dating from the early 300s. And this feast is one of what we Orthodox call the 12 great feasts of the year. Overall, these 12 great feasts commemorate and bring us into the major events of the lives of our Lord Jesus Christ and his Holy Mother. So why is this feast so important? This day is a key event in our Lord's life. Today, People tend to have certain signposts in their lives, right? Birth, baptism, marriage, death. The same was true in the ancient world, and today is one of those signposts in the life of Jesus and Mary. In our gospel passage, Mary is completing a rite required of all Jewish women found in Leviticus 12, the purification after childbirth. There it says that when the 40 days of her post-childbirth purifying were completed, that she would bring herself to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting which in Mary's time would have become the temple. And they would bring a lamb a year old for a burnt offering and a pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering and then offer it before the Lord to make atonement for herself and, and so that she should be made clean. And if she couldn't afford a lamb, then she would bring two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for the burnt offering and the other for the sin offering. Now, one of the most important things the story tells us is that because Mary and Joseph don't offer a lamb, but two turtle doves, that they are extraordinarily poor. So let's not forget, again, that our Lord and the King of Kings was born not even into a middle-class home, but a very impoverished one. Let us be mindful of this and thank the Lord for all the blessings and comforts he allows us to have in whatever our state of life. And let us thank the Lord, too, that he always provides for everyone to worship him, no matter what their state in life is. God loves us. He's willing to meet us wherever we are, rich or poor. And that's in whatever state of material or spiritual wealth you are. He's calling you to worship him. And that's tied directly to the other aspect of this Feast of Candlemas that I want to focus on today. Freedom. When I look around, I see a society that's strongly divided. Each of the many factions wants to assert their freedom, their independence. And two weeks ago, we discussed unity together. I talked about how we can't have unity until we agree on what we're supposed to be unified about, which as Christians is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We talked about how our worship is all directed toward the central act of communion, of unity with God and our neighbor in, the, in, that, in that radical union between God and mankind and the person of Jesus Christ that we're invited to be a part of in the Eucharist. And freedom, like unity, is really nothing 
if it's merely for its own sake. In our world today, we have what I would describe as a crisis of freedom. If we look around, we see people who believe freedom is doing whatever they want to do. Yet any reasonable person knows that kind of freedom needs bounds. If I were completely free, then why should I not go out and immediately murder anybody who gets in my way, take whatever I want that pleases me, and so on? We all recognize that freedom has its limits if we're all to be free. That's not a contradiction, it's reality. And yet, postmodernist views of freedom reject the authority of tradition, of morality, of scripture, or anything that seems to put a bound on freedom in a way that follows the great commandment to love God and our neighbor as ourselves. Instead, we've replaced so-called freedom with self-centeredness. And this manifests often as gross consumerism, overindulgence in pleasure, and so forth. And I also raise this issue today because I see a troubling attitude, a certain narrow-mindedness towards freedom that's holding our world back at this very moment. And I, I see it disturbingly frequently among our very brothers and sisters in Christ, and so I can't help but raise it here today. Throughout this coronavirus pandemic, a balance between personal freedom and common good has had to be struck. As red-blooded Americans, many have probed the boundaries of their personal freedom, refusing to constrain their daily activities, wear masks, etc. And even as scientific, and that was even as scientific evidence kept piling up about the effectiveness of these things. Such may be American, but I don't believe such behavior is Christian. Now, many want to assert their freedom to refuse to take a life-saving vaccine. Sometimes, yes, that's out of a reasonable concern uh, for the way the currently available ones have been tested with certain fetal cell lines from the 1970s. And if you have such concerns, I'm happy to talk with you about them more. But most of the time, I find that despite that, such decisions don't have the context beyond the individual making the decision. Too often, folks too easily discard the clear permission to take the vaccine that our God-fearing bishops have given us. Too often, those reasonable concerns fail to recognize that more Americans are dying every day from coronavirus then lives are taken of the unborn. And so those who believe that their willingness is somehow endorsing the deaths of those unborn people, hopefully will hear that context. Does that make those thousands of children any less important? Of course not. We have to continue that fight too, my brothers and sisters. But if we're truly the pro-life people we claim to be, then we will work to save all lives. And one effective approach will be to take the vaccine when it becomes available to us. Not just because it may save our life, but because it will protect others by helping us reach herd immunity faster and put this outbreak behind us. And getting vaccinated, if you're able, is an act of love toward your neighbor. It will also have an important outcome for us as Christians. It will help everyone get back to worshiping God the way he wants and the way we all want. And that's what this feast is about today, the freedom to worship God the way he wants to be worshiped. In today's feast, we see the submission not only of our blessed mother and Virgin Mary, but of the Lord himself to the law. You think our Lord had to be presented in the temple 40 days after his birth? I mean, seriously, he made the law. Do you think that he had to be subject to it? And what part of the Blessed Virgin Mary's conception and birth of our Lord needed so-called purification? Of course, nothing. And on both points, the church fathers agree. 
This was a moment where Mary and our Lord submitted to requirements that didn't even apply to them. So if our freedom isn't provided so that we can choose not to wear a mask when we're at the grocery store, what is our freedom for? So I beg you to look at our Blessed Virgin and her son, who if they lived today would not have tweeted about their indignation that God asked them to be at a certain place in a certain time, even though they were exempt from the rules. The story of salvation is the story of real freedom. God has offered us real freedom since the beginning, the freedom to love him, that is to worship him the way he wants to be worshiped and build a personal relationship with him, and the freedom to love our neighbor. In the garden, we had everything we could want or need, yet couldn't resist the one thing forbidden us, the fruit of the tree of good and evil. Would Adam and Eve have made a different decision had they realized the havoc they were about to wreak on all of generations to come? I doubt it. Do you stop your behaviors that are destructive to you and those around you? Probably not as much as you should, and nor do I. But as Christians, we have to keep getting better at love. Real love and real freedom requires sacrifice. God forbidding us from eating the fruit in the garden was intended to preserve our freedom. Remarkable that, isn't it? To be free, we had to not do something. Yet instead, we did it. And what happened? We enslaved ourselves to death and sin. God never stopped. He never will stop trying to restore our freedom to walk with him in the cool of the garden and enjoy its riches. When the Israelites were in bondage in Egypt, God freed them from their slavery. And it wasn't just the slavery of the taskmasters that they were serving, but from the Egyptian gods who in the time that they had been there, they had started to follow. Each of those plagues might seem kind of random, frogs falling from the sky and locusts and all this sort of stuff, turning the Nile into blood, but they aren't random. Each of those, each of those plagues corresponds to an Egyptian god. Turning the Nile to blood showed God's power over Hapi, the Egyptian god of the Nile. God's casting three days of complete darkness over the land showed his dominion over Ra, probably the Egyptian god you're most familiar with, the Egyptian sun god. And the Exodus is just one example of the freedom that God works for us. It's not just a freedom from physical bondage, but a freedom from spiritual bondage. And of course, the exemplar is Jesus Christ himself, who offers us a radical freedom from the bondage of sin and death. God, who had everything, doesn't need us. He has everything. Humbled himself to come into this world, be born as a little baby, subject to his human parents, being brought into the temple today, presented at the time of his mother's purification. That's freedom. And he unites God with every aspect of our human nature in order to redeem it and to free it from the bondage of slavery. And in return, we're asked to do something quite simple. The same thing that God asked through Moses to Pharaoh, let my people go that they may serve me. And serving our God is the real freedom we seek. It takes getting rid of all these false freedoms that ironically enslave us. 
It takes self-control and submission to be truly free. It may seem like a contradiction. That may seem mysterious, but it is the revelation of God. And so when you're asked to do things that feel like they encroach on your freedom, ask yourself, what kind of freedom do you think is being encroached on? Look to Jesus. Look to Mary on this day in their lives who worship God the way he wants to be worshiped, even though they seemingly had no reason to submit themselves to this part of the law. Ask yourself if what you're being asked to do or thinking about doing shows real love for God or your neighbor. And if the answer is yes, then it isn't bondage, it isn't slavery, it's freedom. Amen. Talks at Advent. Homilies and Reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.